Welcome to episode 106 of the Daniel Yoris Podcast with today's guest, Rick Olderman. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here today by Rick Olderman. Rick, thanks so much for being here, man. I, I really appreciate your time and pleasure to speak with you. I'm very excited to be here, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Rick, give us a quick outline of, of who you are and what it is that you do. You have a, a long storied career uh, of helping people, long history of helping people. And so I'm, I'm sure it's a very long story um, and we'll get into all that. But but who, who are you and what is it that you do? Uh, I, I'm basically a physical therapist and, I, uh, and out of necessity, uh, I've ended up focusing on chronic pain issues, nagging injuries, things like that for my career. And so uh, I've, I've created, uh, I've written a bunch of books. I've created some home programs and so forth to help people solve their pain. And uh, that's my focus. And how did you be, obviously you went to school to become a physical therapist. So was that something that you always envisioned? Were you always involved in sports or did that just become a thing? It's like, oh, well, this seems like a good stable job that I should get. And then, uh, you know, that carried you into everything else. Yeah, well, you know, I was involved with sports when I was younger and, uh, you know, I grew up on a farm and I had never even heard of a physical therapist mm. <laughs> until I was in my later 20s. <laughs> and so, because, uh, you know, you live out on the farm and it's just like, okay, well, you know, just uh, rest for a day or so and then let's get back at it, you know. <laughs> Put some mud on it and get get back in yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I was interested in medicine in, in, in college and... Uh, but, you know, becoming a doctor wasn't in the cards for me. So uh, then I learned about this physical therapy thing, which combined medicine and exercise. I thought, oh, that sounds perfect. So that's when I decided to jump in. Yeah, I feel like so you, you wouldn't know this, but I did attend chiropractic school for, for a bit and dropped out long story for another day. But my thing was always like, yeah, if we can be a little bit more on the preventative side of things, we're mixing exercise, which is something that people do, whether they're, you know, consciously exercising in a gym or in a workout or not, people are moving their bodies all the time. And so, yes, we, we need medical interventions for the things that medical interventions are good for disease, uh, you know, traumatic injuries and all these kind of things. But there's also a whole host of other things that can be fixed without that. And so that's where, you know, people like yourself come in because we're all broken to, to some extent and we're all going to have some injuries. One of my favorite quotes from one of my professors in school was three guarantees in life is death, taxes, and athletic injuries. If you play sports, something's going to go at some point. So it's best to, uh, to, to get ahead of the game a little bit. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, because we're human, we're going to have pain at some point. So the key is to understand why and how to solve it. You mentioned that you've been forced into dealing with chronic injury. Can you explain what that is for someone who might not understand what the difference is between chronic injury versus uh, I just rolled my ankle playing uh, playing soccer yesterday. Yeah, so someone in their wisdom at some point decided that the th three months is the cutoff from acute <laughs> to chronic injury. So, uh, so if you're two months and three weeks out, I'm sorry, you're still not chronic injury, and none of this information would apply to you. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's the general cutoff for acute versus chronic injuries. And, uh, really what happened to me after PT school was uh, I started work in a small rural town and basically the only physical ther therapy clinic in town. And, uh, I very quickly learned that I did not know how to solve any kind of chronic issue going on. Physical therapy is really good with understanding more acute issues. We have a million tests to isolate a tissue that might be damaged. You can take x-rays, scans, so forth. 
and uh, then we're trained to, t- to treat those tissues. However, with chronic issues, those rules don't necessarily apply. And so, you know, Daniel, I was th- sunk into a, a deep depression because of it, because I spent a lot of time and thought getting into PT school and working at it. And, you know, to pursue something that you feel is your calling and then to fail at it really was a crisis point for me. So hmm. it wasn't until I, I moved to Denver and I got to, and I went to work at a, an elite health club here in town that didn't have a physical therapist on staff before. And once I joined, I was immediately, my schedule was immediately full with 20 through 60 somethings, well-to-do people, professionals, well-educated, access to all the healthcare possible in Denver, top quality docs, PTs, chiropractors, so forth. And they still had chronic pain. And that's when I realized, oh my gosh, it's not just me. We in medicine are not doing a good job with understanding chronic pain. And that's when I decided to try and figure this out for myself. It's a very sad way to, to, to put it that we, you know, you go through school with your eyes wide open. I'm going to help the world. Like this is the, the attitude that, you know, a young person getting into any type of healthcare field uh, w- would have. And then you get out there and it's like, oh, well, can't help everyone with everything. I think that's a, it's a tough pill to swallow one that I've had to, to learn for myself as well, where it's, I just want to, I just want to help the world. That's it. But like, there's a whole lot of other factors and some of it you can't help. Some of it is totally out of our control, and some of it is also there's some onus on on the patient, on the person to take care of themselves in their own life as well, which you can only do as much as you can to to educate and to control that. Um, so then, once you kind of realize this, what was the next step in understanding how to go about helping people or dealing with chronic pain? Well, basically, I I, I realized that I had to throw out a lot of the treatment ideas that I had learned in PT school. And I just had to step back and start observing what was happening. And, you know, things like, you know, when you're, when you're taught to lift things, you're taught to keep your body locked in this extended position is they call neutral spine. And then you lift like that, right? No matter, irregardless of how heavy the, the object is. But most of my patients or clients felt better when their back was flexed instead of arched. In fact, arching increased their pain. So just these kinds of observation, putting two and two together and just like realizing that, wait, what we've been told, that doesn't apply to this case though. And so uh, I had, my bias was even before PT school was a belief that we have pain because of how we've used our bodies in some way. And so all through PT school though, that was never, there was never a class on how you're using your body causing your pain. It was all just, okay, here's the tissue that's broken. Here's how to treat it. Move on kind of thing. And so uh, I found, I remembered one physical therapist in particular who studied movement impairments as they relate to pain. That was Dr. Shirley Saruman out of Washington University in St. Louis, written a couple textbooks. I took all of her courses, learned a whole bunch, but, and I started getting people better really fast and it was amazing. And so, but then as it work, as it happens in medicine, the next tier of patients starts knocking on your door once you have t- too much success. And so, you know, this next tier weren't responding to all of the movement impairment stuff as, as well as it had been. And so that forced me kind of to look outside of that model 
and think, and I found Thomas Meyer's work and his book, Anatomy Trains, which talks about fascia. And for those of you listening, fascia is connective tissue that runs throughout our body, holds us, holds us together, basically. And he identified these super highways of fascia that run through the body from the head to the toe. And that allowed me to see other structures that were further away from the point of pain that might be contributing to that pain. And so I started experimenting with that information, started getting people, more people better. But then I ran into the next tier. And this next tier of people seemed to be, they seemed to have a battery inside their body that was charging it up to be locked in these painful patterns of movement. And so that's when I discovered Thomas Hanna's work with Hanna Somatics. And his focus was neurological uh, dysfunction causing patterns of pain. Well, the interesting thing, Daniel, was that Dr. Shirley Saruman in physical therapy, Tom Thomas Myers in fascia research, and Thomas Hanna in neurological uh, research, all identified the exact same three patterns of problems causing almost all chronic pain. And when I saw put that final piece together, that neurological piece, I was just like, that's it. That's That's what I need to do is combine these three issues and solve pain that way. And so my contribution has been how we are moving and conducting our day that creates these patterns of dysfunction. Hmm. And so that's what I've been focusing on. And so that's how I help people. It's very interesting that you that you bring that up, the, the this interconnectedness of all of the aspects of our of our health, the things that make us human. One of the most interesting things that I realized when I was in school learning anatomy and looking at uh, human cadavers was that in a textbook, you see, okay, here's the muscle, here's the, the nerve, here's the vein, here's the bone, here's all the structures that are all nicely colored and outlined and, and pinpointed. And then you look at a human body and it's like, well, where is all that stuff? It's like, oh, well, it's all there, but it all looks the same. It's all connected and it's all just flowing through to the next one. Of course, you can tell the differences between, you know, the muscle belly versus the bone. But can you tell, can you pinpoint where the muscle ends and the bone start the exact point? Not really. And so then it, it, that was like a reframe for me of like, okay, well, this is all the, the, the physical structures are all connected. But then, of course, it extends out like you were just saying to, well, it's not just the muscles and the bones and the tendons and the ligaments, but it's the fascia, the things that are covering it, the, even, even up to the skin, the nerves that are innervating all of these tissues and all of the aspects and right up to mental health and the way that we like think about ourselves and even the way that we think about pain. I think um, maybe a good kind of rabbit hole to go down here is that with chronic pain, there of course is a is a large psychological impact to it. The longer that one is in pain, you know, you start to convince yourself that you can't do something or or you know, you perceive your pain differently. Through your your research and through your your career, how have you started to define pain or understand help people understand what the pain is telling them about what's going on in their body? I'm not sure if that question makes sense, but but maybe just how to how how to help people understand the pain that they're feeling and what it might mean if anything to them. Yeah, well, no, it makes perfect sense and it's a really important lesson for people to understand that pain, you know, to think of pain as a tool. You know, usually when dealing with pain, especially with chronic pain when you've gone after a practitioner or through a practitioner and it just stays the same, no one's really helping, pain feels like a one-way street. I've just received pain. No one seems to be able to fix it. But the reason, there are reasons for that. But you can turn pain into a two-way street. 
oh, it hurts every time I sit down. Okay, so let's break down how you're sitting down to understand exactly what component of that. Is it really when you're sitting or is it as you're going from standing to sitting? Hmm. Or is it going from sitting to standing? Or is it sitting for right when you sit down? Or does it start happening 20 minutes after you sit down? So all of these, when you break down elements of how you're doing things, it gives you secrets to your pain. And pain is really like a stern teacher. It's just trying to tell you that something is wrong. Your brain doesn't know how to figure this out yet, but your body is telling the brain, something's wrong here. I need to learn from it because our normal state of being is to be pain-free. And we have intrinsic uh, elements in our bodies to help us heal. If you break a bone, it mends in six to eight weeks. If you cut a finger, it heals in a week or two, right? And so we have all of these intrinsic uh, healing properties in our bodies. So if we're having pain, it means that there is some, some uh, obstacle in the way of those processes from occurring. And so in my focus, my focus is more musculoskeletal system. So I've been focusing on the musculoskeletal barriers or obstacles that are keeping people from, from healing. So um, I, I now think of chronic pain as a prolonged acute pain issue, right? There's because the principles don't aren't different. It's not like oh, chronic pain. That's a different kind of pain than acute pain. No, it's the same thing. It's just been if 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 you have a sprained ankle and you sprain it every day for the next eight months, it doesn't mean that at three months suddenly that becomes a chronic ankle problem. No, it's an acute problem that you keep re-injuring over and over again because you don't understand what why what's going on. Right. That's a, that's a very interesting way of thinking of it. Would would you say that? So, so let me just reiterate that so that I understand it and maybe help people understand it to, to summarize it a bit. If I sprain my ankle today, there's no reason that it should, and, and say my ankle was like totally healthy, everything was good. I just stepped in a, you know, a hole in the ground or, or, or on the field or something like that. Roll my ankle, sprained it. If I don't do the things to heal it, that will become an ankle that is perpetually injured and people who say, I have a bad ankle because well, there was no degeneration that happened there other than the, the initial injury. Go yeah, it, 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 there's, a, there's a caveat to that question. So you're assuming that everything is okay with that ankle when you injured it, right. right? So, and the assumption is that if I don't have pain prior to an incident and then I have chronic pain or acute pain after an incident, that I was perfect before this incident and now I'm not, right? And right. this is this is why I, I don't get invited to be a, an expert in uh, court cases anymore involving motor, motor vehicle accidents because someone is involved with a motor vehicle accident, then they have chronic pain afterwards where there's no nothing to indicate that their body was perfect prior to that accident. We have so many redundant systems in our bodies that help us uh, continue our lives even though things are wrong. So pain is not the indicator that something is, everything is perfect or everything is wrong. So, and then to further go into your question. Yeah. So if you sprain your ankle and then you've got chronic ankle pain after that. Yeah. Uh, so chances are, if it was just a simple sprain, it would have healed. So that's an indicator that something else is going on. That's beyond just a simple sprain, even though that's what it's been called. And that could also be something to, to do with the way that your body does compensate for that sprain. You sprain your ankle, so you start 
you know, hobbling on, on your left leg and something, you know, gets jacked up in your left side hip if you sprain your right ankle, or it could be any number, it could be your shoulder, it could be anything, right? But something gets jacked up in the compensation for that injury because of probably the incorrect way of trying to heal yourself or or lack thereof <laughs> is probably a, a better way to, to put it. Yeah, I think, and, I think and let's I, take it even further back. Mm-hmm. I mean, what if the sprained ankle was a compensation for an older mm-hmm. thing that occurred that led to the sprained ankle? And this is often the case with most chronic pain, like back pain or sciatic pain. Really, it's, it's boiled down to older injuries that weren't resolved correctly that are now playing out in your back or sciatic issues. Right. So then differentiating, I think the back pain is probably the most relevant for, for, for the most amount of people. Obviously, lots of people experience back pain to, to various degrees and in various for various reasons. But the back injuries are less less likely that someone, you don't really roll over you know, your ankle and hurt your back. You just kind of, over time, people just realize that their back has started hurting. And so it becomes labeled as a chronic injury because by the time it gets bad enough to seek help, it's like, oh yeah, my back's been hurting me for seven months. I just never really dealt anything, dealt with it at all, unless you got in an accident or something very clear, but those are less, less frequent. So in that scenario, how do we start to identify these things before they start to happen? How can we start to like, you know, be healthier and avoid getting into that position where six months down the road, oh, my back really hurts and I can't do stuff anymore. Yeah, well, that's a really good question, Daniel, because when we don't have pain, we just, you know, we don't decide to pay attention to things, right? Mm -hmm. So pain, this is where pain is a teacher. It's, you know, those first broadside shots of back pain across your bowel, you know, that might go away in a day or two are the warning signs that something is not right. So how can you take care of yourself before it becomes that? Well, pay attention, you know, uh, you know. Understand that, uh, you know, those little tweaks that you're getting are really probably an indicator that something deeper is going on here because you're a young, healthy guy. If someone like you is having pain, that's an indication that something bigger is happening, right? Right. And, and even if there wasn't something prior to those tweaks that are occurring, the fact that you've just had tweaks means that you need to pay attention to really how you've been rehabbing that. And is it really, uh, is it really okay just because, just because it's not painful? Because our brains are fantastic at creating compensations to get around pain because our focus is from going to A to B, you know, to run that 100 yards or run that 10 miles or, you know, catch that Frisbee or whatever it is, right? And so our, our focus is that. So our brain just figures out a way for us to do that. It doesn't mean that it's the best way. It just means it's the way that's possible without having pain. And so that's when compensations ensue. Right. It's like the the path of least least resistance. Our brain doesn't understand. It just wants to get the task done. It's like, well, if I can just, yes. you know, twist this way, hunch over, lean back, whatever the case is that, that that causes that pain to momentarily go away and you get the job done, then you figure it out. But then you do that for 30 years and you realize like, oh, that's not that <laughs> that wasn't it. Yeah. The brain doesn't know how to figure out compensation issues for the body. In terms mm. of, is this a good idea or bad idea? All it says is, is there pain? Is there not pain? Okay, no pain. We're good to go. Right. It doesn't understand the longer term consequences of that. Right. So then I guess backing up a lot, how can people start to think about this and start to realize things that are imperfect or incorrect with them when there is no pain signal? 
Yeah. So uh, I think the the easiest way is for me just to like maybe throw out a little demonstration yep. about how you're using your body that can create pain. All right. And then then you can get an idea of really what I'm talking about with all of this stuff. And we can go mm -hmm. into many examples if you want to, but let's take back pain as the most common one since we've been talking about it a little bit. So uh, I'm going to have everyone perform a little test right now. And so I'm going to ask everyone to lie down on their backs, on the floor, on the couch, on the bed, doesn't matter, but I want your legs straight when you're lying down. Okay. And really folks, especially if you've had any back pain at all, Really, this will be a real uh, eye-opener test for you. So please do it. So you, it's really important that you feel the truth of something rather than just hearing the words. If you just listen to the words, you're going to forget it in five minutes. But if you feel it, you'll remember this and, and it, you'll absorb it into your body a little bit more. Okay, so everyone's lying down on their backs and their legs are straight. And if you want to, you can put your arm, your hand underneath your low, lower spine and feel how much space is between that and the floor. And just get a sense, okay, does my back feel good in this position or not? Okay, so we're going to compare that to bending your knees so your feet are flat on the ground. So go ahead and bend your knees so that your feet are flat on the ground. And if you don't feel a difference in your back discomfort, then go ahead and hug your knees to your chest and feel that. And you'll notice that when your knees are bent, you either feet on the ground or hug to your chest, you'll feel that your back is flatter against the ground. 99% of the people listening to this will say their back feels better when their knees are bent. Okay. All right. And we can explain why that is in just a sec. But the second part of this test now, I'm going to ask everyone to stand up and listen to this podcast on your feet for maybe the next five minutes. Okay. And what you'll notice is after about a minute or two, you'll notice that your knees are starting to lock straight and backwards. This is an energy conservation move that your brain automatically kicks in because you know, it says, oh, we've got to conserve energy like this. So let's go ahead and lock these knees. Now I can just stand on joints. I don't have to use my muscles. And that's perfectly fine. But go ahead and lock your knees backwards and you'll feel that something has just happened to your back. And if you're not sure what that is, go ahead and unlock your knees just a tad and you'll notice that change, a different change happen. And if you're not sure what that is, lock the knees one more time and you'll feel that when you lock your knees, your back is more arched. And you'll feel more tension in the, in the low back muscles. So what does this tell us? Well, lying on the floor with legs straight has told us that we don't, our back doesn't like that. Our back doesn't like it when it's a little bit more arched. And then when we stand for anything longer than a minute or two, we notice that our legs, our knees start to lock up as an energy conservation move, but that those knees locking backwards is causing the back to arch more. So how your habitual way of standing, this is how your habitual way of standing is contributing to your back pain. And a lot of people also lock their knees when they're walking. So if you walk for 10,000 steps a day and you're locking your knees, then every one of those steps is a little hammer to your low back, causing it to arch on one side, then the other, then the other, and back and forth all day long until your back is just achy. So this is how Subtle habits that we have that we don't even think about or are aware of are actually contributing to back pain. In fact, those of you with back pain, if you just start to unlock your knees for the next three days, I can almost guarantee that your back will feel significantly better in just three days by just unlocking your knees. It's, it could be that simple. So there's, there's a lot there to, to unpack. One, I, yeah. the first question that comes to my mind is, is the back pain 
due to the arching happening because like there should be a natural curve in our spine. Have we lost that natural curve to the point due to our posture and our you know life up till now where restoring that curve is painful or is that curve that is caused or that arching that is caused by locking of the knees directly causing pain regardless of whether you have a quote unquote healthy curvature in your spine? Yeah, it almost has nothing to do with the actual curvature of your spine. What it really has to do with are the forces acting on the curve. So think of it this way. When your knees are bent, lying on the ground, you've removed all the leg forces that are acting on your pelvis that are working on your spine. That then allows the pelvis to resume a position that it prefers, which then also flattens your spine. And when we stand... Uh, unlocking the knees is once again removing some of the forces that are, con- are, are connected from your legs to your pelvis and allow the pelvis to move into its more normal position. So it would be like this, Daniel, if I was to push on your chest as hard as I possibly could with one finger, right? And you don't budge, but I'm pushing really hard. Well, your whole body is generating force against my push. And it, even though you're not moving, you can definitely feel the force that I'm creating in your body. Now, we may not have changed any of your alignment at all, but now your muscles are turned on because of this excessive force that's being delivered to you. If I remove that force, your body gets to relax immediately. And so that's what we do when we fix habits that are subconsciously working on our body. We're removing all of these forces from the vulnerable points in our bodies that are causing, that are painful. That makes a lot of sense. So then I guess the extension of that is how does one actually go about stopping to lock your knees when you walk or when you or when you stand because that's something that's happening unconsciously yet happening you know hundreds or thousands of times per day. So how do you go about you know not not everyone's going to think about every single step that they take don't lock my knees don't lock my knees that would be an exhausting exercise. So how do you actually how do you actually do that? That's a great question. So what I do is I use tape so I'll put a little piece of tape on the back of people's knees. And, and this tape is very strong. It's cover roll stretch and leukotape P. You can get it on Amazon. And uh, basically, whenever you lock your knee, then you're going to be tugging on that tape. It's going to pull on your skin and your brain is going to send, oh, I got to unlock my knees. There I go again. And so that will become your cue for the next two or three days. And then when your back starts feeling better, you're going to say, oh, my gosh, this really works. Then your brain's going to kick in and say, I'm going to pay attention to this. Now it's just shown me that this is what the deal is for my, for my pain. And this is why, you know, in my clinic, you know, we have such a high uh, outcome rate and patient adherence to our exercises and so forth is because we showed that every little thing that we did decreased pain. And mm-hmm. so the motivation is there to do it. Unfortunately, in a lot of, a lot of practitioners just throw a whole bunch of exercises at people, hoping that something sticks. And so they're left with doing an hour's worth of exercises and kind of feeling better. But even if they felt a lot better, they don't know exactly which exercise is helping them. So right. this is the key to really becoming compliant with, a, with any kind of recommendation is first proving that it decreases pain. And so taping the backs of the knees will prove that to most of your listeners. Right. It's a, it's a kinesthetic feedback to reinforce a good habit, right? I think that's a simple way to, to, to sum it up there. So another leading 
or question leading off of that is then for, from me, and this is something that I'm a, a big proponent of and want to get your your thoughts on here is how do how does the footwear that we wear in shoes that are have a have a, a platform or a heel more specifically than than the platform even how does that all contribute to this because if you extrapolate that a woman who's wearing you know a six inch heel your legs are very straight your butt is up and arched and that's the you know the the aesthetic reason for wearing those shoes but that is doing all of the things that you just told us not to do but in a smaller version, you're wearing a shoe even with a slight heel, but you're walking 10,000, 20,000 steps a day, going for a run, whatever it is. That's a lot of damage. That's a lot of reps that are doing damage. So what are, what are your thoughts and how does that all add into all of this? I love your line of questioning. It's a perfect question. So thank you for asking it. Uh, the shoe wear makes a big difference because if you remember, I, I mentioned that when we walk, we tend to lock our knees. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the reasons we're able to do that is because we're wearing shoes with thicker heels on them. So it allows the leg to come out in front and hit hard on that heel while our body is still behind the foot. So uh, really to turn to, and we can go into all the biomechanics of all of this, but really the body should be coming forward with that advancing foot instead of laying, hanging out behind it. And if the body is coming forward with that advancing foot instead, then Everything will line up perfectly. The muscles will be turned on the way they should. The muscles should will be turned off the way they should. And everything's hunky-dory. So the shoe wear has a lot to do with this. In fact, and if you're not sure, just go out and walk on a concrete sidewalk with your shoes on and then see how you walk differently when your shoes are off. You don't have nearly the heel strike that you do. And so I would venture to say that because of these biomechanics, that you're delivering much less stress to your body when you walk barefoot because now you're walking more biomechanically correctly than when you have your shoes on. Yeah, totally agreed. And even to, to amplify that feeling for people, do it with walking, but try doing it with running. Even a slow jog, you're not going to heel strike on a, on concrete. Like that's going to hurt your foot, and and you, you will know that instantly. Even if you, the thought of doing it will will hurt, so you won't. You'll you'll strike the ground with your toes, and you'll propel yourself forward versus hitting the brakes with your foot and that big fat cushion on your on on the heel of your of your quote unquote running shoes, which I think is a hilarious thing to me. It's like that's not it's not a correct way to run at all. Like anyone who's played sports at a high level that that wasn't ice hockey where you had any sort of running coach never taught you to run like that and if they did they were a horrible running coach so you know why would we do that in our day-to-day life because we walk again however many steps it is that you walk even if it's not that many it's several thousand and uh, and that's a lot of reps of doing something incorrectly which shouldn't surprise you that causes pain and injury and chronic injuries and <laughs> down the road eventually. So that that all really makes sense when we when we spell it out to people, I think. It, it makes a lot of sense to me. It seems very logically sound and there's not too much to to go against it, I guess. But it's again, it's changing people's beha- behavior habits and, you know, making people aware of this and and trying to actually convince someone to get out of the the stupid shoes and put on a regular pair of shoes or better yet take off the shoes as much as possible and uh and and also just being aware of your general movement patterns and i think you know another place that we can take this unless you've got more to add on on this specific injury is maybe working up the body where you know we uh, i'm sitting right now doing doing this podcast and people sit at a desk for a lot of their day and so we're in this you know forward head hunched over shoulder posture 
and that will cause a lot of issues as well. So if there's nothing else that you want to add on the on the lower part of the back, let's try and work up the body and see you know your your thoughts on the movement patterns and stuff that we have that we that we can fix the from the upper side. Sure. So so just one one comment. Mm-hmm. I mean you you very well put it that you know it's it's hard to get people to change their behaviors. But I'll tell you it's very easy to get them to change their behaviors once you show that that behavior is causing their pain. Mm. So once you do that, there's no amount of convincing that needs to happen. They've, they feel it. And that's why I wanted people to do the test that I, we did earlier. So you can feel the truth. When people feel the truth, then why wouldn't they change it? Right. So there's, there's no convincing that needs to happen. And I'm happy to move to the upper body. There's tons more to talk about with the lower body if you want to. So we can come back to that. But, uh, and we can talk about sciatic pain, unilateral back pain, hip issues, knee issues, foot issues, wherever you want to go with it. But we can also talk about upper body since you're, since we're yeah, going no, let's, there. Let's, let's go, let's stay, let's stick with the back and let's actually go to the sciatic pain. Cause I think that's one that's like super relevant. And then we'll, if you know, we'll see how long we go on it and we'll, and we'll come back to the upper body. I was just thinking okay. about big global spaces, but sciatic yeah. pain is probably a little bit more specific and, and relevant to, to some people. So let's, so let's go there. Okay. So one of the patterns that we just talked about with back pain is what I call an extension problem, meaning that the back is either too arched or there are too many forces trying to pull it into an arch. Some of those forces are occurring because you're locking your knees when you're standing and walking, which then pitches the pelvis forward. It turns off key muscles in the lower body system, and then causes the back to have too much force driving it into this arch. So that's one of the major patterns. 99% of people with back pain have this pattern at the root of their back pain. This can happen concurrently with a second pattern of issues contributing to back pain. And that's what I call a side bending problem. And that that simply means that one side of the pelvis is resting higher than the other. And typically, the same side ribcage is resting lower than the other. So this is caused, and if if you can imagine, if you can visualize this, if you're not watching this video, uh, if you can visualize this happening when you have one side of the pelvis higher and that same ribcage lower, you can imagine that, oh, that seems like it would be pinching that side of the spine then because it's side bending right? And that's exactly what happens. You get nerve root compression on this side, which then contributes to sciatic pain. All right. And also, if you have back pain on just on one side of your of your back, then likely you have a side bending problem. And now a e- really easy way to figure out if this is happening in you is just to take off your shirt and have someone take a picture of your back. And you'll And most of you will see that if you have a side bending problem, you'll have a larger crease on the side of the side bending versus the other side. We can go into a lot of spinal mechanics about all this, but anyway, the important thing to understand is that this is not really a leg length discrepancy. Most Mm -hmm. people are told that this is a leg leg length discrepancy. It appears to be a leg length discrepancy, but it's not. It's actually a compensation pattern. And a lot of people have been told that they have scoliosis. Well, in medical terms, scoliosis just means a side curve of the spine. This could, could be completely a comp- compensatory scoliosis pattern rather than one that you're born with or congenital. All right. So really, and this is really easy to fix. We can fix it in 10 seconds. But really the, the question to ask is why is this pattern happening? In 80 to 90% of the people that have this pattern, they'll, they'll have sciatic pain on the side of the side bending problem. 
And it's happening because of some older problem in the same leg in 80 to 90% of the cases. I just, though, had a telehealth visit with a guy and it, he's compensating for the other side. So, so in 10 to 20% of the cases, it's due to a compensation pattern from a problem in the opposite side. But most of the time, it's a same side issue. And what's happened is that, so we have this, uh, this uh, hardwired reflex pattern that we're born with called a withdrawal reflex. And so if you watch videos of this on YouTube, you'll see little babies, when they put a foot down on something, they'll withdraw that foot really rapidly. It's a withdrawal reflex pattern. But they're not just lifting the knee to do that. They're hiking the whole pelvis up and the rib cage too, because the muscles that hike the pelvis up attach to the rib cage. So they also pull the rib cage down. So they're doing something like this to get off of that painful stimulus. Well, these are hardwired reflex patterns. The same with an extension pattern uh, problem. That's also a, no, a different hardwired reflex pattern called the Landau reflex. Anyway, as we grow, our, we override these deeper reflex patterns because we can't go through the day reflexively responding to every stimulus that's out there, right? So our cerebral cortex overrides these, but it doesn't mean that they're gone. It just means that they're not on the surface of things all the time. However, when we have pain, we tap into these reflex patterns to get out of trouble. And so that's what is one of the reasons why this pattern happens because of an older injury to the same side. And so that's where you need to solve it to really get to the root of the problem. You have to understand what that root cause is of this pattern. First of all, before, before I just extend on that, for anyone who's listening who this feels like it's very relevant to you, highly, highly encourage you to go to YouTube and watch the video of this because Rick is using a skeleton just to demonstrate some of these things and will make a lot more sense if you can actually see what he's doing as he's uh, speaking about it. So that, that aside, what might some of those old injuries be that someone is then compensating for resulting in sciatic pain? Could it just be like literally any old injury to that leg that there's a compensation for? Or are there some specifics? No specifics. Any older, I mean, you brought up ankle sprains earlier in our talk. It could be old ankle sprains. It could be an old knee issue, an old hip issue. It could be any number of things. So this is the one of the common problems. A, a lot of medicine, so... This is the way we're taught to think. Okay, the nerves that feed our leg start at the back and feed our leg. Therefore, if we have any kind of neurological or, or chronic issue in our leg, it's probably coming from our back because that's where the nerves are coming from. But no, it goes deeper than that because the, it, the biomechanical issues in our leg then cause the nerves to be compromised in our spine which then refer a radicular or neuro neurological pain down our legs. So really, yes, it's coming from the back, but what's causing the back to create that problem? It's usually the leg. So it's this, it's this negative feedback loop that's created. Same with the upper body too. Right. It's a chicken or the egg thing where it's like it, it, you start feeling it somewhere, but this place you start feeling it may or may not be the actual source of where the pain is coming from. And then it may refer pain back there to cause another injury. And, you know, one ankle sprain becomes, you know, six different things that are incorrect now with your body or injured, uh, that is causing, causing pain, but you've got to start at the root, which I guess is kind of my next leading question is how do you go about determining where that pain originated from or where to start tackling the pain from maybe better as, as a practitioner? 
Yeah. So, uh, well, as a practice, so as a patient, I've created my downloadable home programs that solve all of these systems problems. And as a practitioner, I've created an online program to teach practitioners how to identify and solve these problems. So, uh, and by the, by practitioner, I don't mean just physical therapists. I think anyone from a coach to surgeons need this information. If you're helping mm-hmm. people with pain and you're dealing with movement, then you need to understand how old injuries, how to identify those, how they're creating pain in a body, how the body is compensating. It's much simpler than you, than you think. However, I, I was having an email exchange with this one girl who was having some chronic sciatic issues. And, and I, and I said, Oh, it sounds like you have a side bending problem from your description. She says, yes, I do, but I don't have any old injuries in my leg. I said, uh, that's not true. You do. (laughs) And she said, no, I, I really don't. I don't have any old injuries in my legs. I said, well, I'm sorry. Your body's telling me differently. And her next email back to me, she says, Oh my God, I completely forgot. I've been dealing with this chronic hamstring issue for the last four years and I haven't been, and it's on that same side. Do you think that's? Causing my sciatic pain? I said, yeah. So whatever is causing your chronic hamstring issue is now also causing your chronic sciatic issue. And that's how you need to think about it. But so we're not trained. This is the hard thing, Daniel, is that, you know, because we've been working with. So the, the, the bigger picture of, of medicine is that we're, we're taught. I, I call this a component thinking strategy to solving pain. We identify a component, retreat that little component, and pain goes away. But with chronic pain, we need a systems thinking strategy to understand how the whole thing works together. And so most people, when they go to see practitioners and on Google and YouTube and all sorts of things, all of those are typically component strategies to fixing problems. They're not system strategies. And so our brains aren't really taught to consider our old injuries as linked to our current pain, just like this girl wasn't. Even though it was a relatively recent injury, her brain did not make that logical connection until it was until I forced it on her. <laughs> so anyway, that's 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 how we have to determine. So really think back. And so my first question when I talk to patients is, okay, tell me about all your old injuries. Are you sure that's all of your old injuries? I'm talking about anything, you know? And there's like, yeah. And so just like this telehealth guy I had yesterday for sciatic pain, my very first test, I had him do a single leg stand because I suspected there was a larger problem going on here. And on his painful side, he was twice as strong on his painful side as his non-painful side. He said, oh, yeah, I've got some weakness there. I said, well, you didn't tell me that, (laughs) (laughs) you know. And it's just like, oh, yeah, I I forgot to mention it, you know. And because our brain is not making these connections between our old problems and our current problems. Right. And the longer that these issues uh, exist for, the more compounding issues there becomes. And so it becomes very difficult to remember, you know, no one's keeping a logbook of every single injury that they've, that they've had. And like, if you've had back pain for 20 years, do you remember what happened, you know, 24 years ago before it happened? Like probably not, because I think most people are just not that aware of their bodies. And so it's very hard. Like you said, you know, the brain plays tricks on us. It's like, well, pain here equals problem here. And that's not, we have to understand that that's not always the truth. And to really dig back and through your own personal history to to discover what it is that that happened. But 
I think becoming more aware of our bodies, even through training and, and as, as much as it might cause pain in something, it at least gives you some body awareness. It's very hard to realize what's happening with your body until you start to use it. Someone who's never worked out, not playing a sport, not being active is going to be like, well, yeah, my body feels great. Well, sure. It feels great if you, if you do nothing, but do you want to do nothing for forever or do you probably want to do some things at some point? And so you've got to start to use your body and to be, become aware of, of your body somehow. So, you know, doing this, these evaluations and if anything is off or wrong, not to, not to let it slip. I think that's probably the, the take home message from, from a lot of this is if something's happening, don't let it just flourish and become something more than it has to be. So how, how would you like advise people to start to, to seek help? Um, you know, download your, 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 uh, your at-home programming, but then what, give us like a little bit of insight as to what that says, as to what people can start to evaluate on themselves and when to start to seek, uh, the help of, of a practitioner. Yeah. So, so here, here's what I've, most people, if you've got chronic pain, you've probably been to many practitioners and you mm. still have <laughs> chronic pain. So the practitioner has been useful because they've ruled out any really serious problems going on. All right. So here's how it works with my home program. Uh, for, and I have five of them, you know, solving things from head to toe. So, uh, basically all of the exercises you'll find in there are unilateral exercises so that you can see, it'll show you very clearly where your imbalances are in your body and fixing them. So we're not fixing 50 different things in your body. It's much simpler than that. I think my back pain program is like seven exercises. So over the years, what I've learned, Daniel, is that especially owning my own clinic and seeing a huge volume of patients is that all most people are having the same patterns of problems. Hmm. So that pattern of problem in you might result in back pain. But in that same pattern of problem in another person might cause sciatic pain. In another person, it might cause SI joint pain. In a fourth, it might cause hip pain. But if we just solve the same pattern, then it's going to solve all of those types of pain. So that's why I can create a, a downloadable program that can theoretically solve a whole bunch of different types of pain is because I've, I, I've realized that the same, the, uh, the pattern of problems that is causing that pain. And so to fix a pattern, it's relatively simple, just like putting a little piece of tape on the back of a, of a knee to solve the knee locking, which has this ripple effect throughout the body. So to me, that's that's the, I mean, it's the only way I've found to, to solve these kinds of things. If you want to solve it most completely, you'll, you'll very quickly uh, discover the problem areas in your body uh, doing this. And so this was also, you know, you mentioned, you know, using your body. This guy who I had the telehealth visit with yesterday was working with a personal trainer at the time too. And he was not aware of this weakness that he had. I mean, it was almost a 50% weakness in one leg versus the other. Now I'm a personal trainer too. I'm a Pilates instructor. I can see how these things can escape us because if you don't really see, look and suspect a compensation pattern, you won't really be able to see what's happening. And so a lot of, a lot of things that a, a lot of us are doing in fitness are bilateral. You know, we do squats and things like that. Well, it's so easy to compensate for things and have it not show up if it's a bilateral movement. 
And that's why almost everything that I do in all of my programs, it's unilateral to expose these differences. I think this is one of the great things about about your approach is taking this this you know bird's eye view holistic approach if you, if you want to call it that where you're examining all of the things because there are so many reasons why something might be happening and 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 then the other side of that is that we're not all as different as we think we are like we have the same more or less anatomy and biomechanical patterns and habits and and things that happen so yes you know your pain might be different than my pain but they're not as different as as our perception of them is more different than the solution to to the things but where i was going with that and some of the the challenges of of, of uh, various practitioners, trainers, and, and everyone included, and, and ourselves included, is that you know when you only have one tool in the toolbox, you you only think that everything is going to be fixed with that. If you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail to you. But when you you know you you've taken one course, and I think a lot of trainers and, and practitioners go through this somewhere early in our career. You take a, a weekend course outside of school, and you're like, oh. That guru at that thing, he said this, and that's the solution to all the problems in the world, so it must be that. And then you start looking for it, and you magically, you find it everywhere. And it helps, but you realize at some point, like, okay, this this is not the solution to everything. We've got to take a little bit more of a of a, of a bird's eye approach to it and look at the entire system, the muscles, the the emotions, the the nervous system, the shoes, the air, the all the things, and start to, like... Uh, you know, amalgamate that into something that is going to be applicable to the widest range of people and then narrow down as you as you go from there. So that's what I really love about your approach and just this this entire this whole system uh, approach to to looking at things. I think what I want to kind of another extension of this to ask you about is at some point, surgery has its place, of course, and, and the medical world and we you know we started this conversation kind of r- referring to that. When do you defer to that? And when would be a, a time for someone to start thinking about surgical or, or other medical interventions for back pain or for you know these general pains that, that people might have? Uh, I'll answer that, but I want to touch on something you just brought up mm-hmm. uh, in your last talk there. Uh, so my very first course, I, I mentioned that I took Dr. Shirley Saruman's series of lectures and seminars and so forth. So I became friends with the PT uh, throughout this process, and we both ended the seminars at the same time, the same year. And I came and I saw him and I said, hey, man, how's this going? And he says, eh, you know, it's okay. I said, what are you talking about? This is solving chronic pain, this information. He says, yeah, but I'm a manual therapist. So, you know, maybe I'll use it for a home program. And that's when I realized that we as practitioners are filtering out information that we believe should or shouldn't work. And that we're not allowing that information to get to our patients. So he believed that he should massage or manipulate or do whatever needed to be done to solve pain. And so his patients will never benefit from fixing biomechanical or movement related problems. Right. So after I talked to him, that's when I decided to write my books 10 or 15 years ago is that I'm just like, oh my gosh, his patients are never going to get this information. And that made me realize that, well, no patients are ever going to get this information. (laughs) So that's why I wrote my books is to do an end around practitioners belief systems. And it's not only in physical therapy, it's personal trainers, it's doctors, it's lawyers, politicians. I mean, everybody has a belief system through which they're filtering their information. 
But uh, fortunately, I had been such a failure as a PT, I didn't have a belief system set up yet. Uh, <laughs> and so I just realized that, hey, I whatever I'm doing is wrong. And I believe that how we're using our bodies is causing pain in some way. So that's all I had to go on. And this seemed to fit that bill. Okay. So, uh, so that, that's, I just want to talk about that mm-hmm. with belief systems. Uh, and in fact, belief systems more than knowledge are what's holding practitioners back from really helping people. Uh, and that's what you kind of alluded to, you know, everything becomes a, a nail with this particular hammer yeah. and it's nice, but we need a few more hammers. And so what this practitioner's course that I've developed, this online course is the course I've used to train all of my physical therapists at my clinic. And I've honed it over the years. And to a person, every one of those therapists, their comment was, I can't believe how simple it is to solve pain. This is so much simpler than what we've been taught in PT school. And the other comment, the other comment is, but it's so much more comprehensive too. Hmm. So, you know, what you and I are talking about, a lot of people might think, oh gosh, this just sounds like a lot of work. I'll never learn all of that. No, it's so much simpler because I've distilled it down to the key elements that you need to solve just about all chronic pain. So uh, it is much simpler than most people think, even though, uh, <laughs> even though there's, there's a myriad of, of, of types of tissues and names and nomenclature and nerves and all sorts of things that sound really important and, and you know, all that. You don't need to know a lot of that in order to solve someone's pain. And that's all your people really care about is whether you can solve their pain and get them to do the sport that they want or whatever they're trying to do. Yeah. Okay. You don't, so there was, don't have there to... was my little, uh, uh, soapbox on that. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I forgot your question in the meantime. I, <laughs> so I was just, was it? it was just, just a quick one about where, when someone should refer or defer to, oh, yeah. uh, actually seeking surgical or, 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 or more, uh, less conservative intervention for, for chronic injuries or, or even acute injuries. Yeah. I mean, acute injuries so, probably obvious. If you break your arm, you know, go get a cast, like, no, nothing's right. going to help that. But yeah. chronic injury is a little more complex. It, it, you're exactly right. And, and so for instance, just, I've, I've just recently had two people using my hip pain program who were scheduled for hip replacement surgeries now completely pain free and doing everything that they want within Amazing. two weeks of starting Amazing. the program. So, uh, surgeries are useful and they're, and many times they are warranted. But the problem is, is that because people have not been approached from a system standpoint, Surgery becomes a last ditch effort. So they think, well, nothing else has worked. I guess I'm going to have to have the surgery. Yeah, but nothing else has worked because you've been approached from a component thinking standpoint. When we look at things from a system standpoint, you'll be amazed at how much pain will melt away when you eliminate all the hammers that are hammering your body. And so here's the interesting thing is in my clinic, uh, we, we had very good success keeping a lot of people out of surgery, but the people who ended up having to go to surgery had very good outcomes because of it, because mm-hmm. we had fixed the whole system going yes. into surgery. And so there, you know, the surgeons loved us because, you know, their patients did really well uh, after surgery. And when they got out of surgery, it was again, systems approach to, to getting them back to wherever. So this approach the systems approach, I feel, is so consistent 
that when I do not see the results that, that I expect, and I expect to see at least a 30 to 50% reduction in pain within, if I was seeing someone at a clinic, within two visits. So if I don't see that, I'm either barking up the wrong road or we have a structural problem that needs surgery. So thankfully, because the exam is comprehensive, I'll know exactly what I need to address on each. I'll have a prioritized list of things that I'm going to address. And if I get down to that third or fourth tier of important things and they're still not having any results, I'm really suspecting, okay, this person is a candidate for surgery. It's very consistent that that's how it worked. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's it's also important just to highlight and to, to reiterate that you still need to take care of the other things. If we go back to the example that we've been using, you know, throughout this conversation, if you have back pain, but you've also got, you know, or it stems from an ankle injury that led to a knee issue that led to a hamstring that led to a shoulder blade. If they do surgery on your back, well, those other things still didn't get fixed. So what makes one think that, you know, when you logically think about it, what makes you think that that injury is not going to come back or not even be helped because that wasn't the root cause of it. So to understand that surgery is good and has its place, but it's not the be all end all. I, I had a major knee uh, surgery several years ago and it fixed a lot of stuff, but it didn't fix everything. And it's not like it's just a, it was a, you know, a panacea for all the problems of my, <laughs> of my, of my life that, uh, you know, I didn't have to do any work on it. I still work on it all the time and, and it's good and it's fine, but it's something that had to be dealt with other than Go under the knife, come out, take the pain pills, and then and then you're good. That's almost never going to work um, for for like structural, biomechanical, musculoskeletal issues. So I think, but it's important to to say that that it is you know an option it is needed at some points, probably much less than than we do defer to it um, as a as a society, and that's a whole other <laughs> conversation about like our our healthcare system at large. But I think that you know starting to to just to understand a little bit more of this holistic approach and how to implement it from an individual level and the things that we can do for ourselves and people who are not practitioners to to at least look for the signs and start to take a little bit more control of it yourself and then bring this information to your practitioner or or demand better from those practitioners or take it into your own hands and, and do your thing if you can. Um, and, and, you know, this is where a lot of your resources come come in handy. And I know that you've got a new book coming out is it in the first half of this year, Solving the Pain Puzzle is the is the title? When is it coming out and what can you tell us about it? It should be coming out in spring. And, uh, you know, this, this is a great segue because uh, of what you just talked about with surgery. So I have three chapters from my upcoming book on my website, rickolderman.com, that people can read for free and they can order, pre-order the book and get it when it comes out uh, there. And I hope they do because I'm trying to become the first physical therapist to be on the New York times bestsellers list. So, uh, that would be sweet. But also I really feel that the book will help people understand their pain better through these patient stories that I have in the book. But anyway, to your point about surgery, again, one of the stories that are on my website is a guy who had two spinal surgeries because of sciatic pain. Uh, he had been wrestling with the sciatic pain for eight years, had been through a whole ton of, of, uh, practitioners. And of course, his sciatic pain never changed through all of that stuff. And uh, in about 15 seconds, we got, we, we made it go completely mm -hmm. away, 100%. And it had nothing to do with his spine. So yeah. this is, this is why it's important to understand things from a system standpoint, because all of the tests that I could have performed would have said, oh yes, you've got a spinal issue. But this is the thing. 
There are no tests that we have that explain why a tissue is damaged. All of our tests are about which tissue is damaged. And so you need a systems approach to understand why a tissue is damaged to really solve pain. And that's Interesting. what we found with his story. I think that's a very, very good way to to articulate it. And, and it, it reminds me perfectly of when I was in school and trying to memorize you know, hundreds of orthopedic tests. And it's like, okay, we know that that's injured. I, I get it. I understand that part. Like that thing hurts when I pull it this way. All right, got it. What do we do about it? How do we, how do we fix it? That's, that's the, that's the hardest part. And that's where, again, this whole systems approach that we've been speaking about this, this entire time really comes into play. It's not easy, but it is the thing that, that helps people. It's not easy for the practitioner because it's outside of the scope of uh, of education. And also it's, you know, it requires a little bit more thinking and input <laughs> from, from the practitioner's point of view versus orthopedic tests. Okay. This hurts uh, ultrasound on that or modality on that thing. And it's like, well, that, that has its place too. But, uh, you know, there's a whole host of other things out there that can, that can really help people and really start to actually solve this, this whole chronic pain issue that we're having all over. My the goal place. is to eliminate chronic pain. I really feel that if everyone from coaches to surgeons understood how all of this works, we could eliminate chronic pain. I would love it, Daniel, if you put me out of business because you eliminated chronic pain, you know? I really would. I mean, that's that's my goal. I, I just feel chronic pain is an indicator that we haven't been looking in the right place. It's a great it's a great line. I always say the same thing. I wish like I, I think this is a whole another topic and we'll kinda we know we'll try and we'll start to wrap it up here, but like I think that my job as a personal trainer is 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 also silly. It's like a it's a cause of this this broken society that we've built due to modern technology and all this stuff. Hundreds of years ago, I would have never needed to have a job because people wouldn't have been overweight. One, we didn't have enough food to be overweight. But you know, people were exercising, people were moving around, people were doing their thing. There was no need to have someone to teach you how to squat and how to move, and it just didn't need to exist. But now we've built a society where it does exist. So I'm the same as you for everyone out there. I wish that I, I wish that I do so well at my job that I don't have a job anymore. And there's no need for personal trainers aside from professional level athletes who are trying to deadlift, you know, crazy amounts of weight and do extraordinary things. But for regular people in a perfect society, I don't think it should exist. And same for your job in a perfect society, it shouldn't really exist, but our side is imperfect, and so therefore we do need people like you and I. And so, so I, so I do very much appreciate all the work that you've done, and the thinking that you've done, and the sharing and the spreading of the things that you've learned and discovered through your own practice. Um, so, so thank you for that, and on behalf of of the world and all of the people that uh, that you've helped, Rick. Oh well, thank you, and and just uh, so your people know, if you type in "fixing you" f i x i n g y o u in the coupon code for anything that you buy, you'll get a twenty percent off. Just, uh, discount. So awesome. um, I, I really believe it all will help you, uh, whether you're a practitioner or a patient. And uh, thanks for having me on, Daniel. Of course. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, Rick. Rick, can you, can you rattle off your, your contact info one more time? I'm going to put all the things in the show notes and the, the, the discount code and stuff for people, but can you just rattle off once more there? Sure. I'll, I'll make it easy. So just go to rickolderman.com. R-I-C-K-O-L-D-E-R-M-A-N.com. And you'll find my patient stories there for my upcoming book. You can pre-order that. You'll find my downloadable home programs. I've got some free stuff on there too. My blog, my practitioner's course, all sorts of things. So just go there and, and just take some time and peruse and, and explore a little bit. And I, I think it will really change your life. 
Beautiful. That's rickolderman.com. I will, again, put that in the show notes and you'll find links to all of Rick's courses and teachings and informations and and, and updates and everything uh, everything there. So check that out if any of this has spoken to you. And, and I really do. I said it earlier, but to anyone who was listening earlier in the podcast, um, go back and watch the video of this because the, some of the things that Rick was explaining and demonstrating will make a lot more sense if you're able to to visualize it versus just thinking about it, um, thinking about it in your head. Rick, is there any last message that you want to leave the people with here in closing? Yeah, uh, a lot of people are led to believe that they're broken and they're not broken. They just haven't had the right information yet. And, you know, I believe the information that I have can really help you. So don't Beautiful give up. Message. Beautiful message, Rick. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. I very much appreciate you, everybody, rickolderman.com. Uh, and um, that's it. Check out everything he has. The new book is coming out uh, shortly in the spring. This episode will be out in February, so a couple months down the road. Hopefully the weather starts to, <laughs> to warm up soon. Um, we get some sunshine back and some, and some greenery. Um, but Solving the Pain Puzzle will be out soon. So check that out. Uh, follow the podcast on wherever you follow it, uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, all the places at Daniel Yours on Instagram as well. Like, share, subscribe to the episode. It's the best way to help spread the message and help the most people overall. I appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, Go outside, be a good person, and we'll see you soon.